Well, what is up, my Coconut Creek people? Come on, let me hear you this morning. Thank you for having some energy. Do you know how hard it is to stand up here sometimes and just stare at people that are looking like this? It is not easy. So thank you guys so much for, for being here this morning. My name is Shayla. I'm actually, actually Pastor TJ's wife. I'm usually over at our Pompano Beach campus, but... As we're closing out our relationship series this week, I was actually sharing with TJ a few weeks ago just some things that God had really laid on my heart and some things that he was showing me. And he's like, Shayla, you need to share that with the church. I was like, are you sure? I don't know about that. But he's like, yeah, you can do it. So I'm up here this morning to share with you guys some things that God's laid on my heart. But first, I just want to take a minute. I totally am a person that believes in honor. And I just want to take a second to honor my husband because there would be no way that I could accomplish the things in my life or to stand on a platform or to do any of those things without a husband that believes in me, that lets me stand on his shoulders, that pushes me closer to God. And so I am so thankful for men in particular and specifically my husband for encouraging those things and for allowing those things to take place. And another thing I just want to say, I love this team. These guys do such a great job week in and week out, and I'm so thankful, yes, for the incredible people that serve at this church that showed up at 5.30 in the morning and had a full-on play set up here, that they had to move all the set off stage and set all the, it was crazy. So we're going to have church today. Um, how many of you guys in life, how many of you like waiting? Nobody. How many of you guys hate waiting? How many of you guys aren't going to raise your hand even if I ask if you're human? It, yeah, there's a lot of people out there like that. Um, I hate waiting. And there's so many situations in life that we have to wait. Where are all my South Florida horn honkers at the red light about to turn green? Let me see you. One. Okay, when I'm sitting in front of you at a red light, and it's not green yet, and you honk your horn at me, I am the person that is so defiant that is going to sit there just because you honked at me and make you wait. Shame on you, Tim. Call you out. But I hate waiting. I'm the person, I love Netflix because you know what? I don't have to wait for the next week to see the next show to see. You know, I don't have to wait for those things. So I am all about the Netflix. Where's my Walking Dead people out there? Uh-huh, Walking Dead. You know what? I never watched Walking Dead until my husband started watching Walking Dead, and a couple seasons into it, I realized he's going to sit on the couch on Sunday night, and if I want to spend any time with him, I have to sit there and watch The Walking Dead. And you know what? Slowly but surely, it kind of grew on me. But I am so tired of waiting for this next season because I just want to know who got hit. Who got hit? Waiting. It's terrible. But most of us, we're not really good at waiting. But so much in life requires us to wait. It requires us to be patient. It requires us to sit still. It requires us to endure so many different things in life. I remember one time I was flying back from my first trip to Africa. And I have never been on a flight that is longer than three hours. The flight home was 16. I had these little special pills that made me fall asleep because I was not sitting through that wide awake. And so 16 hours, we get back to Atlanta. And I'm on my last leg from Atlanta to Fort Lauderdale. 
And I am so close. Man, I can just see my bed. I can feel my covers. I can, like, see my shower and just, like, feeling clean. I can see my husband. I'm just, like, I'm so close. I'm so close. And we get close to Fort Lauderdale, and we start circling. And we keep circling. And we're still circling. And 30 minutes later, we're still circling. And I'm like, what is going on, dude? Can you just land the dang plane? I'm ready to get home and get in my bed. And I'm just waiting, and I'm waiting. We're circling and circling. I'm frustrated. I'm getting, it's getting worse. And I'm just like, man, doesn't this guy understand how to land a plane? I mean, what is he doing up there? I can't even believe that he's doing this to us. And I'm just, like, getting all messed up inside. And what I, what I didn't realize is what, when you're in a circling pattern in a plane, it's because something is happening down on land that you can't see, that you don't understand, that you can't figure it out. But they are protecting you from the danger that's on the ground. And I think the same thing is true in life. When we're in these holding patterns, when we're in these waiting periods of life, we can't see, we don't understand, we, don't, we can't figure out why do I have to wait right now? But the reality is in those waiting periods, there's protection that's taking place, there's preparation that's taking place, there's so many different things that are taking place in the waiting period of life. Where's my single people out there? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay, everybody look around. Those are your options. There are a lot of girls. So if you have single guys that are friends that don't play video games, that have a job and have a purpose for their life, invite them to church because there's a lot of available women here. Man, single, you know what? I feel for single people sometimes. They have, they're in the wait. And it's difficult and it's hard and we don't understand. Why haven't I found the right one? We're just in this waiting. You know, but there's also so many people, so many of us in life that we aren't single, but maybe we're waiting for the right job or we're waiting for our marriage to get better or we're waiting for our health to improve. Like we're in the process of something and we're waiting. And I've seen a lot of people who are in the waiting process and it gets really difficult and it gets really frustrating. And I want to show you a story in the Bible today about two girls, two sisters, that had to make a choice in a certain period of their life. And these two sisters, their name was Ruth and Orpah, not Oprah, Orpah. And these two sisters grew up in a place called Moab. And then the Moabite culture, they were very polytheistic. So they believed in, in many different gods and goddesses. And it can get very confusing and, and div- like, who do I pray to? And when do I do this? Who do I sacrifice to? And it's just very, very oppressive because you can probably never get anything right. You know, so they have this very polytheistic culture. And even worse than that, they have these traditions and these rituals in which they will actually sacrifice their children in fire to these gods and goddesses. So I can imagine that these girls grew up in an extreme bit of fear of thinking, am I next? So they grew up in this culture that was very restrictive, very binding, very fearful. But not far down the road was Israel. About 30 to 60 miles away was Israel. And in Israel, they believed in one God, which was Jehovah who was a redeemer, who was a rescuer, who was the I am, who gave hope, who gave life, who gave truth, who gave redemption. 
And there was this one family that was living in Israel, and it was a really difficult time, and they weren't able to find work, so they traveled to Moab, and they found work there, and they began to ingrain in that culture. And eventually, this family, who had two sons, met Ruth and Orpah. And these two sons ended up getting married to Ruth and Orpah. And in that time, in that culture, when you married, when, as a woman, when you married into a family, when you married into a man, you would take on their faith and their belief and their religion. And so these girls who grew up very confused with gods and goddesses and polytheistic and all of these different things begin to transfer their beliefs into Judaism, into the Jewish culture to believe in one God. And they begin to see their mother-in-law just passionately pursuing this, even though she's in a different culture that believes differently than she is. She has this hope and this reassurance for her future that is different from what they've ever seen. And so they begin to, to, take, off this, to take on this faith and they begin to follow after her, but something crazy happens. Their father-in-law dies. And then not too long after their father-in-law dies, both of their husbands die. So we have three widowed women, women facing something different in their life. And in the culture of that time, if your spouse passed away, you couldn't just go out and find anybody. You had to marry within that family. You had to marry a brother or a son or an uncle. You had to marry within that family. And that person would redeem you, would give you a future again. But see, the problem was, is these, these girls are facing this situation where their mother-in-law only had two sons. And she decides she's going to go back to her own hometown. She's going to go back to Israel. And she's going to begin to get back into that culture, into her own beliefs and her own faith and surround herself with the right people and begin to bring health back to her in this season of mourning and just begin to put herself in a better place. And her daughter-in-laws decide, I'm going to follow after her because that's what I'm supposed to do in culture and tradition. I'm just, I'm going to follow after her where she's going. I guess, I guess we have to go. And they start off on this journey and Naomi, who's the mother-in-law, she stops them and she's like, no, 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 don't, don't come with me. You don't need to come with me because here's the deal. Look, I would have to get married. I would have to have kids and, and then they would have to grow up in order for you to be redeemed and to marry someone else because I don't know what relatives are left there. I don't know what awaits me there. You just stay here and what's comfortable and what's normal and where you've always been. And we're going to pick up this story where these two girls make a decision on what they're going to do. And in Ruth 1.14, it says this. It says, at, at this, they wept aloud again. It says, then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law and said goodbye and went back to Moab to where she knew what was comfortable, where she'd always been. And it said, but Ruth clung to her mother-in-law. See, Ruth decided to have faith in future, in her future. She decided that her future was going to look different than her past. She decided to make a decision that wasn't based on her comfort, but was on, based on the hope of her future. 
And I think in the reality is, is we all want something better for our life. None of us have arrived or in the position that we want to be in. None of us are in the place where we have it all together. We all have the hope of something different, a better future, a different future, a more hopeful future. We all want to see the things that we dream about begin to come to pass. But what we have to realize is that our daily decisions determine our end destination. And the decision that we are making on a daily basis is determining where we end up in life. And I think a lot of us look around at our life and we're like, man, I'm not happy with how my life looks and I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe that's happening. If you are not happy with what your life is producing, you need to begin to look at the decisions you're making. Because your decisions are producing your end destination. And our decisions are so important. It says Orpah kissed and left, but Naomi clung, or Ruth clung. See, I truly believe that what you say yes to shapes your life. Because the reality is we're saying yes to something, we're saying no to something. A lot of us, we want a better marriage, but we're saying yes to staying later at work, and we're saying no to a better marriage, but we say we want that. A lot of us say, hey, I want to be in a better financial situation, but we're saying yes to frivolous spending, and we're saying no to a better financial situation. What we say yes to shapes our life. And our daily decisions are producing something. You know, when I was 19, I had a really, really difficult decision to make, and I had a choice that I had to make that I believe defined the rest of my life. And I was in a relationship that was terrible. I was in a relationship with somebody that totally just tore me down in every single way. I had no self-esteem. I was defeated in every place of my life. I was not in an abusive relationship physically, but definitely with words and how they treated me. But I just thought, well, that's what I deserve. That's, this is what you get out of relationships. This is how it's supposed to be. And I just continued and I continued and I continued and I never had the courage to break free. And I remember one day I was sitting in the back of a church service and I had grown up in church because that's what you were supposed to do. I knew a lot about God, but I never had a relationship with God. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian just like going to McDonald's doesn't make you a cheeseburger. You know, like, there was something different, something that had to change. And I remember sitting in the back of that auditorium that day, and I just began to cry. Because I had a picture of what my future was going to look like if I continued down that path. I had this picture of how I knew things were going to end up, and I realized, man, I got a decision. I can choose to keep walking this path and being dissatisfied in life and being beat down and being discouraged and not having any self-esteem, or I can make a choose to, choice to walk away from this and hopefully live something different and have the hope of a better future. And I remember that day just sitting there and just crying at the picture of that. And I decided that day, this isn't going to be my life anymore. And I went home, and I picked up the phone, and I called that guy, and I was like, look, you're, you're probably not going to understand this. And I know things are okay right now, but I can't do this anymore. And I broke it off, and it wasn't easy. You know, the next part of that journey was really difficult because our choices aren't always, don't make things easier. 
Many times they just give you a hope for a different future. You know, and I remember just realizing that that moment could change my life forever, and I walked away. And I started thinking as I was preparing this message about how Orpah and Ruth had a very same decision. They were in the same situation with the same option, but one chose comfort and one chose courage. How many of you guys have ever heard of the story of David and Goliath? Most of us. Yeah, even if you haven't been in church, you know about the little shepherd boy that went up against this great giant and defeated him. And it's written across history, this one moment. Well, did you know that the story of David and Goliath began with the story and the choice of Ruth and Orpah? See, Orpah, when she made the choice to stay comfortable, she went back to Moab and ended up becoming the mother, mother of Goliath. Can you imagine birthing a giant? Mm-mm. And Ruth made a choice to pursue her faith, to pursue a different life, and ended up becoming the great-grandmother of King David. See, that story began with a choice. A choice to choose comfort or a choice to choose courage. And I think there's a lot of us in life that are facing that choice. And we have these constant moments where we have to decide, what are we going to do? What are we going to do when we're waiting? What are we going to do when we don't understand? What are we going to do when we can't figure it out? And I think there's something so critical that just like Ruth and Orpah is that we have to choose continuous faith over momentary comfort. See, Ruth, I love what she says after she makes this decision. With all passion and all drive and all hope for the future, she just begins to declare something to her mother-in-law. In Ruth 1, 16 through 18, it says, But Ruth said, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I'm going to go. Where you lodge, I'm going to lodge. Your people, they're going to be my people. Your God is going to be my God. Where you die, I'm going to die. And there I'm going to be buried. And then she goes even one step further and is like, I'm not going to be distracted by all this. I need you to call me out. And she's like, thus may the Lord do to me and worse if anything but death departs you. She's like, man, if I get comfortable, you need to bring me back. And when she saw that, she was determined to go with her. And her mother-in-law didn't say anything else to her. See, Ruth wanted something different in her life than what she constantly experienced time after time after time. And here's what I know for your life, and here's what I know for my life, that there's a hope for something greater. There's a greater future. There's a greater hope than what we've experienced in the past. And if you don't have a hope for your future, if you don't have faith for your future, then you will have no power in your present. If you don't have greater hope that your marriage can be restored, if you don't have a picture of what that looks like, then guess what? You're going to settle every time for momentary comfort. If you don't have faith for your future, you will have no power in the present to make those decisions. And we have to begin to get a picture of what our future looks like. See, so many of us, I think, oh, I want to be healthy, and I want to look better, and I want to do, but you know you grabbed a donut on the way in here. Because do you really believe that things can be different? 
Do you really believe that your future can be different in your health? Because you didn't have any power in the present. You know what? You want to be financially free. But those credit card offers come and, ooh, I know I want that bag or I know I want this or I know I want that. Do you know how many of you guys get credit card offers all the time? Man, there's this one credit card company. Twice a month, they send me something that's like, oh, come to this dealership and you're pre-approved for this kind of car and up to this amount of money and it's a low interest rate and just come in and sign the papers so you can drive off the lot with a brand new car. And I'm like, oh, I need a brand new car. I would like that. My car is getting old. It's got a lot of miles on it. Like, I need something new. But see, if I didn't have faith for my financial future, if I didn't have a plan for my financial future, then you know what? In those moments, that would look really good and I would just begin to veer off to the side. Because if you don't have any faith for the future, you don't have any power in the present. And there's some of us that have to get faith for our future and our marriage, for our kids, for our finances, for our job. You know, I remember after I broke it off with that guy, I realized how much of a defining moment that was. And I just began to realize how confused I was. And how lost I was and how empty I was. And I just began to cry out to God and was like, God, I don't know who I am anymore. I don't know what this looks like. I don't know what you really have for me. Lord, please help me. Help me to gain confidence. Help me to understand what my future looks like. Help me in this moment, Lord God, to see something different than I've already always seen. And I began to open my Bible and I started looking up verses and writing verses down that were going to help me when I was weak and get through this. And I just began to believe that something different can come to, from my life than what my past had dictated to me. And I remember, remember opening up that journal and just beginning to write and beginning to write. And I started getting this renewed sense of strength and hope. And one day, I sat down and I was like, I am going to write a mission statement for my life. And I sat down and I began writing. And as I was preparing this message, I remembered I had half my journal from 17 years ago. And I opened it up and I took a picture and it was, I mean, you guys probably can't read that, but this, to a T, is what I'm walking out today. 17 years ago. And in here it talks about, like, doing ministry with my husband and helping in ministry and doing all. People were like, Shayla, why is there red on that? I was like, because I wrote it in blood, saying this is going to happen. And then I started to realize, man, everything I wrote down requires a husband. Man, I, I, that's not in my life yet. I don't really know what that, I'm not even concerned about that right now. But you know what? I need to get a plan for what that looks like. And so I started writing again, and I started writing a list of what do I want in a husband. And so I start writing this list, and it says he loves God with all of his heart. He's obedient to God's plan. He loves me for me. It means he's forgiving because I was broken. He said he's bold in the things of God, encourageable, knowledgeable of the word, attractive, athletic, determined, focused. He knows where he's going, a man of his word. He likes kids. He makes me laugh. He's got a good personality. He stands up for what he believes. He's a protector, and he's someone who I can feel comfortable with. And then I realized when I read this list that I missed one thing, that he would have a full head of hair. Man, hindsight is like 2020. 
It would have changed a lot of things for me. Be specific, let me tell you. No, but if any of you guys know TJ, this is him. 17 years ago, I got a plan for what do I want my life to look like. Because I believed that if I had faith in my future, that the momentary distractions that come my way, I could say, nope, you're not in my plan. Nope, you don't love God enough. Sorry, you're not an option. Nope, you play video games. Nope. We got to have faith for our future so that we can have power in our present. You know, Charles Stanley says this. He says, our willingness to wait reveals the value that we place on the object we're waiting for. You know, and some of us are so quick to be hasty with things. And here's what I realized. You can't rush something you want to last forever. And a lot of us are trying to rush through our marriage. We're trying to rush through so many different things in our life. But you can't rush something you want to last forever. You have to build it. You have to have a plan for it. And here's the last thing I want to tell you guys. Is that you have to trust that God is at work while you work. See, you got to start working. you got to start getting a plan. This isn't just about God showing up and do some, doing something, because I think most of us walk around, oh, I can't wait till God brings me my husband. I can't wait till this happens. I can't wait till that happens. And he's going, but do you know what you want? Do you know what it looks like when it comes along? How are you going to know it's me? Trust that God is at work while you're at work. Because, see, when you work, it's guaranteed that God's working even harder and more diligently than you are. And the Bible shows over and over and over again that it's your move that moves God. Because what does it say? It says, knock, and the door will be open. It says, seek, and then you'll find. It says, give, and it will be given to you. See, it's your move that begins to move God. And if you want God to begin to move in your life, then start doing something. Step out of what's comfortable and what's normal. Stop living in your past and start looking for your future. See, you want a healthy marriage? Work to become a healthier person. You want to look better and feel better? Become more disciplined in your life. You want God to show up in your finances? Trust him and quit spending frivolously. It's your move. See, this happened with Ruth. She gets to Israel. And she realizes, man, somebody's got to provide for this family. I can't sit around and wait for my husband. i got to do something. And she realizes she has to go to work. And so she goes to her mother-in-law and she says in Ruth 2, 2 through 7, says, Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whom side I might find favor. See, she's just going to show up somewhere and start working and just try to pick up after them and get what she can. And Naomi said to her, go, my daughter. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to a portion of the field that belonged to Boaz who was from the family of Elimelech. Now this man is the brother of her father-in-law. 
she ends up in the field of the man that can bring to pass what she's looking for for the future. She shows up in the field of the man that can redeem her. The man that can marry her, the man that can produce great things for her life. She shows up in his field. And it says, Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, May the Lord be with you. And they said, May the Lord bless you. And then Boaz said to his servant, who is in charge of the reapers, Who's that chick over there? I've never seen her before. And the servant in charge of the reapers replied and said, She's the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And she asked us to glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. And she came and she remained until morning until now. She just put in the work. And she's been sitting at the house for a little while. And see, when Ruth starts working, when she starts working towards her future, when she starts putting in the work, God puts her in the right place at the right time with the right person. And I think a lot of us get it backwards sometimes and we, th and we think, well, when you bring the right person or when you restore my marriage or when you give me the good finances, then I can do these things. But no, we have to trust God that he's at work while we work. And we have to begin to step into some things. We have to begin to do some things a little bit differently. In Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, it says this. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge him. And he will make your path straight. You know, I think there's a lot of you guys that maybe you feel like you've messed up in life. Maybe you've made some bad decisions. Maybe you've even started down the wrong path. But here's the deal. It takes one choice and one decision to change that course of your life. It takes one decision to say, you know what, I want to do things differently. And maybe you're discouraged and maybe you're in a difficult place in life and you're looking at your situation and you're going, I don't know how this could get better. And today God's just saying, look, trust me. Trust me. But then I want you to work on you. This morning, if you guys will bow your heads and close your eyes. Maybe there's some of you guys out there that you are discouraged. Maybe you've taken some difficult paths in life that maybe weren't the right one. But today's the day you say, you know what, I, I want to do something different. I want to make a decision that changes the course of my life, that puts me in the right place. And if you're here this morning and that's you and you know that today you need to make a different decision, that you need to change some things in your life, if you'll slip up your hand, I'm going to have Pastor Steve pray for you in a moment. Yes, 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 yes.
and as Pastor Steve gets ready to pray, I just want to encourage you guys. You know what? Just like Ruth followed Naomi, you have to get people in your life that you look at their life and you say, man, that's how I want to be. That's the path that I want to follow. You have to get people into your life to encourage you and to strengthen you and to speak into you. And you're going to see your life begin to change. Pastor Steve, will you pray for us?